I love Romans chapter 8. It's one of those chapters where it gives you hope. It reminds us of what God has done for us. And it also reminds us that we can't do much on our own. We can't do anything on our own. Uh, we have to rely on what he has done. So Paul is now writing to the Romans and to everyone who reads this letter to let them know they can't be saved by the law. That's good news because looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, I have trouble with a few of them. And if we can't keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, I, I blew it at two. You know, uh, and then, uh, and every day after that, as soon as I blew it, as soon as I learned how to speak, that's when uh, I I blew it. So, um, it was probably before that. The Lord will probably remind me of something I just don't remember. But here we learn that the works do not save us. And that's important for us to remember. The work was complete on the cross. And so we can't be saved by how much work we do, what we do. There's one thing that we need to do, our part. We do have a role in this. We have a part in this. Acts chapter 16 verse 31. Where we're told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's some hard stuff. Because if you believe, then it's going to change your life. It is going to be acted out in your life. When you believe something, it changes how you act. And we're saved because we believe, but now we want to walk in the Spirit. We want to allow the Spirit to have freedom in our lives. If we don't, if we quench the Spirit, guess what? We're missing out on the blessings that God wants to bless us with. If we try to quench the Spirit, then the work of God is going to become our own work. It's going to be the work of us. And that's not what God's plan is. God's plan is to allow the Spirit to work through us so that He is glorified, not we. We're not the ones to be glorified by the work that God is doing through us. It may look really good, but if a person can't look and say, wow, that's the hand of God, if they say that's the hand of Rick, then that's wrong. And I I don't ever say that your pastor is so good. He's the best pastor around because he knows what he... Give the glory to God, please. Because I can't do this on my own. I can't do any of this at all. It's because of what the Holy Spirit does in my life and speaks through me to you. You know what's funny is that after service, a lot of times I'll hear from different people and I say, I got so much out of that. Oh, I got the Lord spoke to me and, and told me this and that. And they tell me different things. You see, they don't all say the same thing. I got this. I got A, B, and C out of this. No, they all tell me different things. That's the Holy Spirit. He is the one speaking to you. And so, listen when he speaks. Today's message is titled, Life in the Spirit. We continue our study in Romans chapter 8 with verse 9, where we read... But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Well, hold on. It starts with the word but. So let's go back to verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ouch. If we're in the flesh, we... How many of you are in the flesh today? All of us. We're all here in the flesh, right? But it says we can't please God. But we aren't in the flesh as in giving control to the flesh. We are here in the spirit giving. That's why we're here. 
because the Holy Spirit wants us to be here and encouraged us to be here, drove us to be here. And so here we are in the Spirit together. And so it says, but you are not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So, Paul is spelling it out pretty easily here. The Spirit is the delineating factor of whether or not we are in Christ, whether or not we have a relationship with God. It's the Spirit of God that dwells in us that ties that relationship together. That's how we have this relationship. We don't have the relationship with the flesh and God. It's with the Spirit and God. That's where our relationship is connected. Once we believe we have life in the Spirit, and nobody, nobody can take that away from us. There's a trend out there that's uh, trending on the social media platforms that you can't be saved once and always saved. You can lose your salvation, and I don't agree with that. I agree when God gives us a gift, he's not going to take it away. When God made promises with Abraham and Israel failed, he didn't take the promises away. He is still fulfilling every promise that he has made. And so when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we invite the Holy Spirit to live within us, no one can pluck us out of his hand. We're secure in his hand. No one can take us away. And so we can be assured of that. We should be assured of that. But that doesn't give us the freedom to go do whatever we want. That doesn't give us the freedom to go live in sin. And Paul's been telling us that through these whole seven and a half chapters of Romans, he's been telling us, hey, how can you possibly live in sin if you have been filled with the Spirit? How can you possibly think that that's the right way to act? What, shall we continue in sin so that God gives us more grace, so that grace may abound? No, God forbid. How could we, who have been forgiven, who have been given this grace, live any more in sin? And, and so, but he also talks, talks about the war between the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit, we experience that every day. We experience that war, that battle between the flesh and the spirit every single day. There are those moments in the day where we think we're just up on the top of the mountain, where we're just pumped. We can ju we can just sense the Holy Spirit is is moving in us and through us, and and the next thing you know, Jesus is calling Peter the devil. And, you know, right after he was like, "Oh, it's because God has revealed that to you." Oh, and now. Peter's a devil because of something stupid he said. You know, and that's how we are. Sometimes I feel like I'm on the top of the mountain, and then I realize I am on the top of the mountain, and it's a steep cliff, and I just stepped off. And I'm going to be down there crashing into the dirt here real soon. It's a nice view on the way down. The fall didn't kill me. It was a sudden stop at the end. We who live in the Spirit, there has to be something that comes out of our lives that shows that we're in the Spirit. If we don't have anything in our life that demonstrates that we're in the Spirit, then we have to question ourselves. Are we in the Spirit? If there's no evidence of the fact that we're in the Spirit, then maybe... We're not walking in the Spirit. That doesn't mean we're not saved. It just means we're not fulfilling God's will in our lives through the Holy Spirit. 
Galatians 5 tells us what to expect if we have received the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Galatians 5.22 goes on to say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When someone has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, these are the characteristics that should be coming out of them. Now sometimes I find myself doing some of these. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not perfect at all of these. Sometimes I find myself um, that I'm good at some of it. Like love. Okay, I, I can love. Love my wife. And, I, you know, and she has so much joy, it washes over onto me. You know, so, you know, so we, we kind of balance each other. And then there's peace. Peace. In this world right now, we don't have a lot of peace. We are the peace. Because we have the Holy Spirit. He is the peace living inside of us. So we should be able to go out and share peace with others. We should be able to bring peace to people's lives. Because we have peace through the word of God. And so we should be able to exude peace. Do we do that? Or do we talk about, I can't believe that reporter. Did you hear what that reporter just said? I can't believe they said these things. These people are out of their mind. Well, regardless, yes, they are out of their mind. Because they probably don't have the mind of Christ. As they're reporting these things. Many reporters are actually leaving the field because they felt like they were compromising. And they actually leave what they're doing because they realize, I can't do this. It's a compromise between what I should be doing and what they want me to do. We look at these things and say, okay, how are we doing on these things against such there is no law and when we talk about the law we're talking about the law of God it's in our lives there is no God is not going to criticize us for doing any of those things for having those characteristics verse 10 and if Christ is in you the body is dead because of sin. I know some of you feel like, hey, my body's dead now. But it, it needs to be dead. We need to crucify the flesh. We need to put that flesh to death. And it says the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's the good news. We have life because of the Holy Spirit, even though we're in these dirt bags. That's, you know, we were molded with dirt, had the breath of life blown into us, but, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, it was just proper. We were born from the dirt, and we're going to go back to the dust, to the dirt, just add water, you know, and, and that's what you get. You get us. The world likes to think that everyone is a child of God. That everyone, and you can do whatever you want because we're all children of God. So if God created you that way, so it's okay to do those things. Even if they contradict what the Bible says, it's okay. Because God created you that way. So just be the person that God created you. 
we were created perfect beings in the Garden of Eden, but since then, things have gone downhill. We have sin introduced into our lives way back in the garden, and it's never left. It's still there. As humans, we all have sin being part of our nature. And so we're in trouble without a savior. If we don't have someone that can take away the sin, then we're doomed. We are condemned. That's for the world. For those of us who have received Jesus Christ, we already know this. We know this to be true. The problem is, how do we act upon it? How does it change our lives? How do we live now that we know those things? In Revelation 3.20, Jesus is speaking and uh, John is writing this down. And he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. First thing is he's knocking, so you hear a knock. That's when we feel that we're being called to something greater than ourselves. When the Holy Spirit is drawing us in, we can't even accept Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws us in. And the Holy Spirit knocks on the hearts of people. And the second thing is his voice. It says, if anyone hears my voice, that means he's speaking. He's saying, hello, insert your name here. Hello, I'm knocking. Are you there? And now it's up to us to respond to that person knocking at... It's not okay to speak to him through your ring doorbell. Okay? that It's not okay to say, Oh, Jesus is at my door. I'm okay then. I'm covered because he's at my door. No, we have to let him in. We have to open the door. He wants to be part of our lives. The word Jesus used for dine there is dipnon. It's a, a Greek term and it's talking about the dinner time um, meal. That's also part of fellowship. When people would get together for that evening meal, they would sit. They didn't have cell phones. They weren't sitting there like this at dinner. <laughs> Folks, if you're at dinner, put your cell phone away. Okay, turn the TV off. It's time to talk. It's time to fellowship. It's time to encourage each other. Just with the words, I I remember growing up, my family, Italian family, you know, and uh, we would sit down and we all had personalities. And, and, And so dinner would be interesting when we sat down as a family. It, it would be an event. And, and you didn't know what was going to come out of dinner. But we as Christians, we as believers, um, we have the opportunity to live differently. To sit down at a meal together in fellowship and talk about good things. Talk about the things God is doing, not the things the government is doing. Because that's never satisfying. That just causes more strife. And I, the meal doesn't sit well after I talk about what the government is doing, right? You know, it's not their fault. They're not being led by God. We don't live under a theocracy. We're ruled by men. And men are all messed up. And when I said men, I don't mean just men. Women are messed up too. And, and the ones that are in government 
are way more messed up because they think they can fix things. They think that they have the solution to solve all the problems of the world. Well, unless they're believers and they're applying the things of God, they're not really solving problems. They're just creating different problems, new problems. And that's what we're seeing in the world today. Once we open the door, he comes in, he dwells with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. It's like the secret to how to live. Putting to death the flesh and allowing the Spirit to have control. And so what we're talking about is not so much this body, because we know this body will die. If the Lord doesn't return and take us home, we're dying. And so that's the bad news? No, that's the good news. Because after that, we're going to not experience death ever again. We're not going to experience pain or suffering or anything like that. When we leave this earth, we're stepping into life. We have a new set of priorities now. We're the debtors that used to be in debt to our flesh. We used to be in debt to sin. Now we're debtors to life, to the spirit. And so what is our debt? How do we pay that debt off? You can't, you can't pay it off. There's nothing you can do with your life. I don't care how big a church gets and how, how many people, you know, Billy Graham, man, how many millions of people did he, he's still ministering to people all over the world through his videos and, and through recordings and so on and so forth. People are getting saved still. He's in heaven. And it's not how much you do. You can't do enough. But it's what we do just for the fact that we're saved. We do it because it's what we want to do. It's why we're storing up treasure in heaven. We're not doing it to build our um, our character down here so that other people will see how humble we are. You ever feel that way? You get up and you look, oh, how humble. I when, when you look in the mirror, you just feel really good about yourself, how humble you are. Uh, you know, that's a struggle when you are in ministry and you're trying to teach people to be humble and you know now what do I use as an example of being humble Um, well uh, in my own life it's uh, it's the fact that I let my wife do whatever I'm so humble she can do whatever she wants you know, she can go shopping whenever she wants. She can, you know, buy whatever she needs. And, and so that's, that's my, the level of my humility. Um, just putting myself. No, we're supposed to put everyone before ourselves. Everyone. That's how we show, we demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is living within us. Because we put him first in our lives and then we put everyone else because that's what God called us to do. Jesus gave a demonstration of washing feet. How many of you have washed feet? You know, it's, it's a humbling thing to really, to wash someone's feet. It's gross even. And, and the thing is, is that it was the lowest servant at someone's home that would do that job. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're we're supposed to, it was an example. Jesus really didn't mean 
go out to church every week and wash people's feet. And that, that wasn't really what he was saying. He was showing, he was giving a demonstration of how we're supposed to put other people and, uh, and respect them more even than ourselves. Following in the Spirit is not an easy thing. Living by the Spirit is not easy. It, it's something that can be very challenging and we can't do it without the help of God. One way to make it easier is by keeping focused on him. Doing things, being heavenly minded instead of earthly minded. What am I doing to build my kingdom here? It's not our kingdom, first of all. It's his kingdom. And what are we doing to build it? Well, um, I hope it's all what we do in the spirit, not what we're doing in the flesh. Not, it's not about building bigger buildings or anything like that. It's about doing what God is directing us to do. Paul wrote to the Colossians and said, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. In Colossians 3.2. That's one of the scriptures that tells us where our focus needs to be, where our attention needs to be. Another one is Micah 6.8. It tells us how to apply this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Living justly means to do what is right. That's how we live justly, and people can see that we're doing what is right. Loving mercy? It's easy to love mercy when you're the recipient of mercy. Oh, I love the fact that God shows mercy on me. That God showers his mercy so that I have been set free from what I should have been accused of what I should have been judged on. I've been set free of that because of his mercy. Oh, isn't that great? And we can all say, that's, I, I, I receive that, right? I love that kind of mercy. Here's the other side of it. We're supposed to give mercy like that. We're supposed to show mercy like that. It's not just loving the mercy that we receive. It's loving the mercy that we can pour out on others. You know, there are a lot of people that aren't as wonderful as you guys. I just want you to know, there are people out there that are annoying. Even believers. Even people that call themselves Christians. And we're supposed to show them mercy. A lot of times we look at justice. We're supposed to do justly, not require justice. We're supposed to do it. And so when we act justly, properly, then it's easier for people to bestow mercy on us and we should in turn give that mercy back to them. And then it says walk humbly with God. Walking humbly with God? That is, how do you walk humbly with the one who humbled himself? Leaving the throne room of heaven. Coming to earth to be abused, accused, persecuted, and killed by his creation. That's humility. He did that. And we're supposed to walk humbly with him. Philippians 2.3 Paul writes, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. That's how we're supposed to be humble by esteeming others better than ourselves. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We're adopted. Adopted into the family of God. And then we cry out, Abba. That's the same as saying, Daddy. It's an intimate term between a child and their father. Abba, Father, crying out, Daddy, I need your help. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. And we've been adopted. The Spirit of Himself bears witness. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may be glorified together the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit okay so we bear witness that we are children of God because we've received the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit bears witness. How many witnesses do you need to confirm something? Two. And so here are the two with me and the Holy Spirit are the witnesses to the world that I am a son of God, I'm a child of God, and heirs. We are part of the inheritance that's coming. We're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Everything was put under his feet. Everything was given to Christ and we are co-heirs with all of that. You know why I struggle with this? Because I'm stuck here on this earth right now. I'm living in the flesh. I'm living in a physical body. Things I think are so wonderful and so important. Oh, this is just, you know, so important and so wonderful and I need this and and I want and it's nothing. My mind can't even imagine what I have to look forward to in the future. And if if I got a glimpse, see Paul got a glimpse. Now, he didn't see his storeroom. You know, we're storing up treasure in heaven. He didn't see his storeroom. He just got a glimpse of what was going on, the conversations that were going on there in heaven. He said, I can't even repeat what was said. It would be illegal for me to repeat what was said here. And But can, can you imagine getting a glimpse of what's going can you imagine getting a glimpse of the storeroom you know I, I just would hate to go up there and see this little door there, there it is that's what you got stored up you know and you know Paul it's like you know a, a warehouse and big doors you know going up and, and oh and what do you got there here it is Here's what you got. I don't, con- I don't think to myself, well, I'm going to have to go fill up the storeroom today. I'm going out to, you know, minister and, you know, store up some stuff. I don't, I don't think like that often. I, 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 I just think, man, I've got to kill this flesh. I've got to put to death this flesh. That's what I think. Because that's the reality that I deal with every day. And I know you do too. I know that you don't wake up saying, Oh, I'm perfect. I've got it all done. I, I, I figured this all out. None of us have. The closer we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the more we realize that that's true. The closer Paul got to the Lord, the more he realized how depraved he was and how worthless he was. And and so 
that's it doesn't seem like it should be that way it seems like the closer we get the better we should feel uh, you know the 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 more uh emboldened i can go out and do these things and, and you know i don't believe that peter and the other apostles when they were filled with the holy spirit thought to themselves i'm the man you know when they were sitting around the dinner table at passover with jesus oh they were having a conversation oh who's going to be the greatest in heaven right they were thinking i'm the man well because of all this stuff i'm doing i i've got it covered once that holy spirit came upon them and they're not the man and they knew it and so that's when the holy spirit lived through them and did the greatest work because it wasn't them it was the holy spirit now does that mean they were perfect nah peter played the hypocrite when he was eating with the gentiles paul called him out on it you know there's no one that's perfect we don't wake up perfect in the morning I, I I wake up in pretty good shape until my feet hit the ground. And then I'm in trouble. It starts to go downhill from there. So, what do we have to do to be adopted? We're told, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we have to do. We have to be in Christ Jesus and then there's no condemnation at that point and then we know that we're adopted into the family so the spirit is bearing witness and we have this relationship Paul went from rags uh, from riches to rags he started off at the top of the world he was well known for who he was and and his relationship his ties his being a pharisee he was a ruler of rulers a hebrew of hebrews and he went from that to slavery and then he talks about how that impacted his life in verse 18 where it says for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us the sufferings of this present time sometimes we think you know i i i'm suffering for christ i'm really that that person cut me off and now i'm suffering behind them because they're driving at 30 miles an hour and it's a 30 five mile an hour zone and that's it i'm suffering now i'm putting because i let them in and now i'm living in you know and here's paul's suffering second corinthians 11 tells us from the jews five times i received 40 stripes minus one three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked a night and a day i have been in the deep in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the cities, in perils in wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He wasn't doing that to brag. He was showing this is what it means to him to be a believer, to do the will of God, because you're willing to do whatever God puts before you. But he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Wow. I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, I try to imagine 
What, what, we think of the Mount of Transfiguration and there's Jesus up there glowing, you know. And, and you know, they, there they are up on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and we're going to be like that. We're going to look. Now when Jesus came back and he was resurrected from the dead, he wasn't going around glowing like that. You know, he was looked normal. Uh, you know, he was mistaken to be a gardener. It wasn't that he stood out. He didn't have this glow in the halo. You know, that's if you're in the Catholic Church, he had a halo. But here, um, he doesn't have the halo. I, I, uh, I think that it's going to be different in heaven. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think it's going to look different than we can even imagine. We can't even um, fathom what it's going to be like. Back in Romans 8.18, he says that the sufferings don't compare with that. And he wasn't concerned with what he was going through because he knew where it was going to lead to. That's how we need to live. We need to live not concerned about what's going on here now, but looking forward to what's coming in the future and knowing that that's going to be the best it can be. You know, if, if someone gave me a million dollars, you would think that would make me happy. That would bring some comfort and joy um, to my life. You can try it. We'll, we'll see. We'll use this as an experiment. You see, I don't want to have that because then I'm going to be worried about the million dollars. What am I doing with it? How am I, am I applying it correctly? Am I, you know, what am I, I don't, I don't think that's important. I want the treasure to be in heaven. And so that's where my heart is. Now, I still have flesh. And I'm thinking, okay, but what if? You know, what? You know, someone may, you know, so what am I going to do at that point? I don't even want to think about it. Because I don't want my mind to be focused that much on what's happening here on this earth. I want, I, I don't want to just abandon, I don't want to be like the Thessalonians who are hanging out, running up their credit cards and stuff like that, waiting for Jesus to come back. I don't want to be like that. I want to be prepared for when he comes back. Because he said that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be ready, watching for his return, for his glorious appearing. That's what we're supposed to be preparing ourselves for. And I love how Paul then talks about the condition, and I think it's the condition of our earth right now, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The the creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I think that's awesome. I, I you know, we're, we're there now. We're watching creation uh, fall apart. You know, evolution is being proven to be false just as we watch. If evolution means that things are getting better, then why are we so worried about climate change? You know, because if it does get to 130 degrees and stuff like that, we here in Arizona got that covered. You know, it's the people in South Dakota that have a problem. They're the ones that are going to, you know, be, be trying to figure it out. But, man, we're at the top of the food chain. No, that's not how it works. And it just goes to show that 
evolution is just another farce. It's just another thing that man creates to do what they want to, to teach what they want so that they can be the smartest person in the room. But God planned it all this way. He set it up this way. And all creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of... That's an interesting verse, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for the things to go back to the way that is. And we are the sons and daughters of God. And creation is eagerly waiting for us to be glorified. That's awesome! That's exciting. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. In Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he made and he said it was good. And that's everything. That's He did everything. He created it all. But then in Romans 8.20, we read that it was subject to futility because of corruption, the corruption of sin. And the world continues to spin out of control. It's not improving or becoming better, but it's becoming more volatile, more violent, more hostile. It's a horrible environment in many countries. You could barely walk the streets. Well, most of them... In the Middle East, it's very dangerous even to think that you can do that. In verse 22, we're told that all of creation groans and labors with birth pangs. What happens after birth pangs? Birth. Right? Birth pangs lead to birth. And we're told what the new creation is. It's the revealing of the sons of God. That's the new creation. It's the creation that's born out of God is the sons and daughters, the heirs, those that have inherited eternal life. That's what's going to come out of what's going on right now. And when will they be revealed? When Jesus comes. He's going to reveal them. Well, actually, they're going to disappear first. And then... They will all be revealed. Coming back. You know what? We're not, you know, the big army that's gathered from one end of heaven to the other. And we all come. And Jesus is on the horse. And he's coming back. And he is going to win the battle of Armageddon just by the words that come out of his mouth. That's it. That's all. That's he, And we are just going to be riding horseback. For some of you, just staying on the horse is going to be a problem. But it's okay. We're, we're gonna, we'll have a training session before we get on the horse. And then we're going to come and we don't have to do anything. We're not even involved in the battle. We're just there to watch the commander destroy the enemy. Wipe out the enemy that comes against us. We close considering the days that we're living in. The Bible tells us that things are winding down. We can look at scripture after scripture. In a few weeks we're going to look at scripture to tell us what are the days we're living in. What's going to happen in the future. We're winding down. Trouble taking place all over the world. It's all prophesied in the Bible. We look at pockets of places, Syria and, and, uh, and, and Ukraine, and we say, oh, look at all of the, the stuff. It, it, there are so many places that are going through very hard times right now. And it, it's not even worth it for us to look at them all because we are so insulated that we, we can't even realize the, the level of death that is being experienced in many of these other places because we live such insulated lives. You know, here in Fountain Hills, this is like, what a, what a beautiful place to live, but we're kind of insulated from this. But the more we read the prophecies the last, of the last days, the more we realize how close 
we actually are to his return. Jesus is knocking, but there are many people that aren't answering the door. And you know who he wrote that to? The Laodiceans. The Laodicean church. He was writing this to, but he was writing it to individuals. If anyone, anyone opens the door. But the problem is, this church, not this church, church in the world right now is the Laodicean church. It, it's the church that's apathetic about the things that, and, and apathetic about God. Apathetic about their relationship with Jesus. That's the Laodicean church. And so even as believers, if Jesus is knocking on your heart, it's time to open. It doesn't mean you're not saved. You know, we can be very saved, but the Lord can be knocking on our heart, saying, I want a closer relationship with you. I want to have something to bless you with. You're going to be blessed by this. Just open the door. And I'm going to come in and dine with you. I've noticed my wife and I have been talking about this a lot lately, that we go out to restaurants and the food isn't as good as it used to be. We're not enjoying going out and eating like we used to. The food isn't as good. The the people are a little rude. And it's just not, you know, a good experience anymore. But if Jesus comes in and you're going to dine with him, it's going to be the best meal. And that's the way we need to look at our relationship with him right now. That's the way that we need to look at what is this environment that I'm in right now, not the world, with Christ. What is it like? What is my relationship like? What is my personal life like? We need to evaluate that. For us, we have life in the Spirit. And if that's true, then we should walk in the Spirit so that the Spirit can live through us and in us, and that people around us will see that there's life beyond this flesh. Amen?